Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Inforium, a productivity show, ostensibly, with uh, myself, Thomas Frank, and my good friend, Martin Bamey, as your hosts. And I guess I just always do that voice now. Yeah. You, you have to make podcast memes, and I guess doing fun voices is a good way to do it. Anyway, uh, on this week's episode, we are going to sort of center the discussion around the concept of rebooting your life, which is very uh, sort of high concept thing. But I wanted to talk about this because Martin, you just moved to a brand new state. I finished doing it. I'm finally which done. now makes the Inforium the best ostensibly productivity podcast that's actually secretly a mastermind call every two weeks in two different US states. Not oh, just yeah. one. Yeah. So, how how did the move go, my dude? It's their first episode um, uh, post-move. The process was terrible and difficult, but now that I'm here, it's amazing and it was worth it. Okay. And how so? Um, and w- which one? Like, uh, it being amazing and worth it. Because you've only well, been there for three beautiful days. beautiful and gray and rainy. And uh, I feel like I live in a fancy hotel and it's a it's a great great view great neighborhood very walkable lots of cool stuff why do you feel like you feel in a, like live in a fancy hotel is it a fancy apartment building or something it's a fancy apartment building oh it's very fancy i feel very interesting fancy. i feel like so, i'm on vacation right now this is how i would feel if i had just gone to like uh seattle because it's been gray and rainy too but mm. I feel like I'm on vacation and like it hasn't quite sunk in that I'm not leaving. Okay. Uh, well, from my perspective, where you have just moved is a disaster zone because I've heard two sirens so far. And we've only been talking for like uh, an hour. Well, from my perspective, it is the Jedi who are evil. So <laughs> what now? Do you want to know what I was watching last night? The 2003 Clone Wars animated shorts. Oh, not, you know what? I've heard, that's, I've heard that those are good. They're really good. I have never watched the later 3D animated ones that came out. And I, I looked on Disney Plus last night. There's seven seasons of that. And I don't know if I'm going to get into that because I've heard it's not amazing. But for anyone who hasn't watched the 2003 Clone Wars shorts that were they were aired on Cartoon Network back then, they're all yeah. on YouTube. And people have edited them together into seamless compilations. So I think back when I was watching them as a kid, it was a it was like five minutes per episode, and you'd have to wait. And now they're just it's like an hour long. They're, block. they're supposed to be it's pretty great. good. Um, they're re- yeah, they're really good. They remind me a lot of Samurai Jack. I, I don't know Samurai if Jack. the same person who did Samurai Jack did these, but they the animation style, particularly the movement, reminds me a lot of Samurai Jack. Mm. And I have to imagine that somebody worked on both shows. I don't know that for sure. Could have looked it up, but I didn't. Yeah. But yeah. So you've only been there for three days. So I guess uh, me asking you your your perceptions of living in an apartment building again versus your townhouse are probably premature. But uh, I'm gonna do it anyway. 
Yeah. How's it feeling to be back in a more dense urban environment? I actually like it a lot better. Yeah. Thus far. Um, oh, also, given given that I'm in an apartment and this is a temporary brand new setup for the camera, sorry, y'all, if you hear sirens and cars and giant seagulls, there aren't going to be giant seagulls, I made that up, uh, etc. But I really, I just kind of like feel more of a part of a community. This is a very mm-hmm. walkable area and being in an apartment building by default sort of means I'm around people more often. Um, I felt like I could go entire days without seeing another human in the yeah. townhouse well i well, mean actually uh, but secretly she's not a human don't tell anyone but i could not yeah covid didn't help at all but it just feels like i'm a part of a, a community in a way that i like more it feels closer mm-hmm. to how it was in college which is often an experience i parts of i would try to recreate and have been trying to recreate. Yeah. Well, uh, as people probably know, I did the opposite of what you have done and bought a house that is in an outer ring suburb of Denver. Um, That's true. And now that vaccinations are looming, I think it is, uh, I can say with pretty high confidence that within a month from the day we're recording this, March 23rd, I will have at least gotten my first shot with all of that looming in the world sort of opening back up, I'm realizing that where I moved is not walkable in any slight sense of the imagination. This is true. And it's weird, like, when you're touring it, and I think I think COVID had a lot to do with this because we'd basically been locked in our houses with nowhere to go for months. So that was the context in which I was touring houses. But when you're touring houses, when you're looking at neighborhoods, you don't think about the things that you have to live with in terms of the outside neighborhood when you're doing those tours. So I remember, you know, driving there. Oh, this doesn't take too long. This is pretty easy to drive there. And I remember pulling into the neighborhood and being like, oh, hey, this is pretty. There's trees. There's like hills here, which aren't in central Denver. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But then you move here and you realize like, okay, you want to go for a daily walk? Well, there's nothing to walk to. So the only thing to look at are other people's houses, which aren't really areas that you can go interact with. So it, it was funny, like I have a friend who was considering leaving his suburb house at some point for a house in the country a little bit. And at first I was like, well, dude, like look at the walk score. It's actually worse. And then I realized, is there any difference between taking a walk in a suburb neighborhood and taking a walk in, in your three acre country property? Not really. Yeah, you're not knocking in on everybody's of, doors. You just go yeah. outside and come back in terms of area you can interact with. So, uh, and, and the part of the reason I've been thinking about this is uh, we have a creator in standard, his channel is called city beautiful and he's like an urban planner. So I've been watching a lot of his content. It just sort of popped up on YouTube and, um, it got me into this side of YouTube that kind of talks about urban planning and, and the problems with suburbs and things like that. So I've been really interested in recently. And uh, there's all this research to show that humans really like to be in somewhat enclosed spaces. And there's a whole lot of like evolutionary biology behind this. Any organism that you observe tends to stick to the edge of a room if they can, because it feels safer. And, uh, I had been wondering like, okay, why do I miss college? 
part of that reason I think is because the campus is one of the few areas that you're ever in where it's really built for walkability. And there are buildings that kind of build this sense of enclosure. But when you're downtown or I don't know if you're downtown, but you're probably in an urban enough area, you, you still kind of get that. Oh, so it's I, a more pleasant I very place much to be. feel like that. Um, yeah, actually there was, um, speaking of that, I actually have this in the notes. I was going to talk about it. Um, I was talking about it and we, and Ashley and I were talking about how we were excited about this area. Ashley sent me this tweet that she saw coincidentally, mm-hmm. just, um, it's from Gnome the Barbarian to give credit where credit is due. But they, they said, I forget who said it, but it's stuck in my head. Half the reason folks romanticize college is because it's the last time most folks lived in dense walkable neighborhoods focused on providing community during plentiful off hours. Like that could just be how we build cities. Yes. And, and this has really been like ever since leaving college, that's what I've wanted. That's why the first place in Colorado was like a relatively walkable place. Mm-hmm. Um, the townhouse was actually in a reasonably walkable neighborhood. Um, and this that is the most walkable is place I've been miracle. in since college. Yeah. That, that neighborhood specifically in Denver is kind of a miracle because it was uh, an Air Force base and then it got turned into... Yeah, they designed it very specifically. Yep. They um, did a good job on that. And, and it actually has taken me moving to the suburbs to realize just how intelligently that community was built. They... They didn't do a ton of mixed-use zoning, and I'm sure the city wouldn't have let them. There's not like a coffee shop in every corner. But if you live in that neighborhood, the grocery stores and restaurants are like less than a mile away. And to some degree, they did did not do the thing where they do in the suburbs where everything is all kind of one band of income or at least price. Like a lot of the houses are expensive and then some of the houses are really expensive, but then there are the townhouses where you lived and there's a couple of apartment complexes and there's even a couple of section eight complexes. Yeah. It's like actually economically diverse and and Mm -hmm. super nice parks and everything. Super smart planning for that neighborhood. They they also made the streets narrow because a lot of the suburbs make their streets wide under the erroneous belief that wide streets are going to reduce visual impairments and make people drive more safely and reduce accidents. What it actually does is turns your streets into a highway and people drive much faster on them. Like I find myself going 35 on the residential streets in my neighborhood without even realizing it because they're so freaking wide that my brain goes, this is a highway. I can just zoom through it. And then I'm like, wait, nope, gotta go 25. So they did such a good job, but, but yeah, like I, t- that tweet you said is basically what I've been thinking. Like the last time I lived in a dense walkable neighborhood in quotes neighborhood that was designed for pedestrians and walkability was in college. I won't even count that big high rise apartment building that we lived in when we moved here. Yeah. That's because we lived in the middle of parking lots. Yeah. You could walk to stores, but that, that was like the walkability was stores. Yeah. I've just been doing a lot of research on this and like I'm reading a book well, I've read a book called walkable city and now I'm reading a book called strong towns, which is more about how like suburban development is actually financially ruinous. And the only reason that it's propped up is because we keep building more suburbs and taking on debt, but uh, oh. the suburbs are not financially sustainable. Um, that's maybe a subject for a podcast at some point. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's, it's got me thinking about like future houses and things like that. But yeah, the basically what, what I've been reading is, 
for people to want to walk places, it's not enough for a place they want to go to be in short walking distance. They also want like interesting things to be along that walking route. So if I live half a mile or even a quarter mile from like Whole Foods, okay, cool. But I don't want to walk there if everything along that route is just a parking lot. Yeah, or it's even if exciting. it's just an open green space, a lot of people are like, "Oh, just put in parks and green spaces." But if it's just this, if just an open field, like it's the kind of the same thing, a little less. It's just a bunch of grass, there. nothing mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So, you know, what I've been learning is like what we do in America is just spread our cities out because cars allow it. Terrible. And what we should be doing is uh, allowing for more density and mixed use, which is what Europe has done. And I've never been to Europe. So I never really knew this, but I've also been like looking at Google Street View in random cities in Europe and every single one of them is just much denser and there's people outside. Well, and a lot of their cities have age that America can't even imagine and they were around Mm -hmm. way before cars. So it just kind of. Yeah. But before before like World War Two and before cars were a huge thing, it's still the way that we design cities in America. It's just after World War Two. No more. We want big Hummer trucks. We had gobs of money. I actually want so, a double wide Hummer, and then that's that's what I drive Hummer. down the street, and I, a I need a parking garage for it. Yeah, Dumber, that's a good idea. <laughs> yep. So uh, that could be a whole episode, but um, I, I'm on I'm on the same page you're on now. The part that I've been trying to reconcile is like, okay, did I personally make a bad decision with where I chose to live? Yes, it's not very walkable, but there is the constraint of the stuff that's closer into the city is really freaking expensive. True. This is true. And particularly with your space needs. Yeah, because my the rub for me is like I need space to film videos and, and do production and like Tony works in the office with me. So we kind of need a decent amount of space and to get that we either need to buy a sort of large house or get place for me to live and then also get an office. Yeah. Which is probably going to be at least $2,000 a month if we want something that is going to have uh, both quiet and space to film videos. Like a WeWork office, not going to cut it. You remember that little glass cube we were working in? Yeah. There's no way we could have filmed videos in that. That was 1300 bucks a month. Now, that was right downtown and it was in a big skyscraper. So maybe there's something better we could yeah. find. But. From everything I've looked at, it was going to be like probably two thousand to twenty five hundred bucks a month for office space at the minimum, plus a you know a mortgage or a rent on the house. The one thing I have thought of is maybe I could find I could literally rent an apartment just to, like to film maybe. videos in and have two apartments or something like that. Um, but but the alternative is get a bigger house in the suburbs and then the mortgage itself is under 3000 a month which is crazy yeah like i'm realizing it is crazy in terms of, of why it's possible but um you know for my personal reasons and my personal strategy it made a lot of sense at the time so i don't know the point i'm at is like okay cool well i know i want to be in a walkable area again moving out here has both made it cheaper for me to live but also now that i know what i want i have like a goal in mind so 
I'm now very incentivized to work hard and meet that goal. Yeah. And I don't know specifically where I want to live, but I know where I don't want to live. <laughs> and that's it's, probably it's yeah. just basically a number no, of miles one from step downtown. Closer. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know one thing you were curious about that I refrained from giving you details on before we started recording this is uh, I recently got an e-bike and yeah. that was a good purchase. Yeah. I want to know about Actually, that because I want to bike a thousand times more here. Cool. All right. And I'm going to use this as like segue into reboot your life because what I'm realizing is this thing is uh, enabling the formation of a keystone habit. I think we've talked about keystone habits before for people who are new to the podcast. It's a term yeah. from uh, what's it called? The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, great habit book. And a keystone habit is essentially a habit that heavily encourages the formation of other habits that are usually positive in nature. So it kind of creates a domino effect. For a lot of people, um, starting to eat healthy can be a keystone habit that will help them to exercise more. Um, I think one mentioned in the book was getting up early helped with that. Like you get yep. up early, you feel like you have time in the morning, you make healthier breakfasts, you make time to exercise, all this kind of thing. For me, getting an e-bike has sort of opened up more places I can go, but in a way where I don't have to drive and I get purposeful exercise every single day getting there. Uh, remember how I used to be completely like in awe of how people didn't do anything in terms of exercise other than just like go to the gym or take jogs or whatever. I kind of get it now. People move out to the suburbs and nothing fun is within walking distance. So the only thing they can really do is either just take a walk in their neighborhood or go to a gym and like plot on a treadmill <laughs> or, or lift weights. Yeah. I, I kind of understand. It's just like, you don't have the, you don't have frictionless, proximity to other fun things and you also don't have uh easy opportunities for purposeful movement in that like i'm gonna go and i'm going to get some physical exercise but i'm literally going to a place whereas where you just moved that's easy you want to go to the grocery store okay you walk there that's purposeful movement it's not like i'm gonna convince myself to go walk for half an hour just because i need it it's i need to go somewhere so i'm just gonna walk there yeah, happen to get exercise. life naturally demands the exercise of me. I don't have to mm -hmm. insert it in there. So, uh, and this I've only had it for like a few days, going on a week now. But there's like a Sprouts grocery store that's like five miles from my house. I tried riding my regular bike there once, and you know it's fine. I've done a lot of biking throughout my life, but I live in a sort of hilly neighborhood now. So uh, when I got there, I was a sweaty <laughs> mess. <laughs> it was basically a workout, not a commute. So convincing myself to go there on a regular basis on the bike is a tall order. So, you know, for most people, the only other option is drive. The e-bike, I did it this morning. It was so easy. It took me a little bit more time than it would have to drive, but it was so much more pleasant. I was on trails most of the time, which thankfully they decided to build trails in this neighborhood. Uh, I could listen to an audiobook and I'm on trails, so I'm not worried about, you know, getting hit by a car or something. Yeah. And the a little amount of uh, assistance the motor provides you basically just makes going up the hills as easy as it would be if you were on flat ground. So you get there and it was like, cool, I just use this this tool to commute, not to get a workout. 
grabbed some groceries and came back home. And I don't know what it is, but like when I'm biking places, I feel better about myself. When I go into the grocery store, I'm more incentivized to buy healthier food. And also like I'm more incentivized to go more often. Another thing that I was reading about people in Europe is they more often will do like daily grocery shopping instead of big weekly trips. And that's just because their grocery shops are like, I don't know, five blocks away from where they live. And uh, if it only takes me like, you know, 30 minutes round trip to do an e-bike ride to the grocery store, I would probably do the same thing. Like, cool, I'm just going to hop my bike, go get dinner, come back, cook it. It just sort of... It's kind of been what we've been doing so far. Have you? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It just... it. It makes it more pleasant to go out and get food. It gives me a reason to go get some exercise and it makes me want to eat better. It makes me want to have a better routine. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel much happier when walking or biking places. I feel like a car is always me racing to get there. I just want to stop driving. I'm annoyed about traffic the whole way. Yeah. But biking and walking makes me happy and being happy makes me want to do better things. It turns out happy people are more motivated to do things that will keep them happy and in good condition. Turns out. Which is part of why you can't like yell at depressed people to get better because some of the motivation comes. It's a difficult like uh, cycle. You know, uh, what's that mm. called? A feedback loop. But it works yeah. in both directions. The happiness feedback loop. Well, you'll get a small bit of happiness. It might push you to go to the store. You might eat something healthier. You might get happier and happier as you continue to do things. Mm-hmm. that are actually have positive feedback yeah absolutely and i i am absolutely happier when i'm on a bike than when i'm in a car like the moment i hit traffic i'm just really angry you've seen it this is like the only time other than using adobe products where i get visibly angry yeah <laughs> is when i'm in traffic it's not fun when when i'm on a bike it's fine even if like i'm in an area where i have to slow down and it's kind of crowded i don't care and I think it's just like the fact that you can see other people and you don't just see these boxy metal contraptions. It makes you more empathetic and also makes it easier like weave through. It's just a different experience all around. Yeah, yeah. Like that person's, they're going places. I'll let them pass on if they need to. Mm-hmm. Rather than like that stupid red Jeep up there, they, they can burn. Yeah. They can burn and die because they're in my way and I hate them. It's, it's a Jeep. It's mm-hmm. not a person. So what I'm going to do is a little bit of like a purposeful schedule reboot experiment. And I can't, I'm not going to say I'm going to do it for like 30 days straight every single day because I don't think it's going to work that way. But I want to use this bike as a way to get myself out of the house more. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to get a co-working space membership. And on the days where I don't need to record media or be editing... I will go there to do my work. And when I'm hoping, and this is like my hypothesis going into the experiment, what I'm hoping this will do is actually crystallize my schedule more because I want to be riding my bike to the co-working space and I'm picking one that's near one of my favorite gyms so I can also use that gym. And that way it will incentivize me to compress all of my recording, podcasting, video yeah. kind of stuff into like one or two days so then I can go out for the other three days. That's the dream to me. Yeah, because I've noticed like, and you know, I think everyone's probably feeling this because of COVID. When you're inside your house all day long, life just becomes this one long stretch of nothing. Nothing's ever broken up. The memories like <laughs> melt together. Like it, they do. Your brain's just like, that wasn't an even an important day. Why'd you even live that one dummy? 
I'm just mm-hmm. going to erase that. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it. And I also don't, I don't know, like, I mean, I guess I like going for walks or bike rides, but if it's just like, okay, I'm just going to go for a loop just because, it's not as, it's not as fulfilling as I'm going somewhere with an, a purpose, either to go buy food or cycle to the climbing gym or go to the co-working space. Like, that is more interesting to me yeah. than uh, I'm going to go walk a mile just because I need the exercise. I don't know. So, man, like, I've just been going through brain blast after brain blast the past couple of weeks, like learning about all this stuff, learning about how we totally change the way we design cities. And there's just so many connections I'm making here. Like, obviously the the reason that Americans have higher rates of obesity and things are partly due to how much access we have to bad food. But also I think it's probably the way we build our cities and environments. Everyone has to convince themselves to exercise because there's no other reason to do it. Whereas, you know, and the only other country I've been to is, is Tokyo, unless you count like little tiny jaunts to Canada, but, uh, to- Japan, not Tokyo. No, the country, the great nation of Tokyo. Great nation of Tokyo. They have a lot of people there. Might as well be. A We're nation. American. They'll forgive us. We don't know. You're anything. there. Like you have no choice, but to walk everywhere, at least the train station. So every single day is filled with purposeful movement. And I would like to build a life again where I have that. So here, because of the distances involved, I think an e-bike is the thing that basically enables that. Um, someday in the future, I would like to be able to move back closer to an environment where walking would be all that's required for that. Uh, it is also something that I would like to bring to the table as a consideration for anybody thinking about buying their own house. And I want to, I'm kind of glad that we haven't done our second house buying episode yet because it is something that I think people should think about. Yeah. And before you, you know, get yourself on a billion year mortgage and you're like, uh Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be good to think about it first. It's a super long-term decision, but I've been yep. enjoying walking. I really, I haven't biked yet because I, stupidly put my bike lock key in the moving cube that is not here yet not Uh in my car (laughs) which had the bike attached to it so i have a bike but i can't lock it up anywhere Mm -hmm. so uh, i'll get to it but i really want to i really want to bike a lot more and walk a lot more and this is possibly the best place to be a cyclist in america and i'm I'm really excited cities it's one of the best yeah it's got like a bike highway you know Mm -hmm. the the twin cities are amazing for that but i haven't gotten to do it yet i'm really interested in that and then i'm interested in the idea of an e-bike that sounds fancy because like if i'm dying on the way back it'd be nice to have a little a little boost that makes it less like i'm trapped now i can't move my body anymore please help me Hey, let's take a quick break and pay some bills. So this week's episode is sponsored by our friends over at a company called Barbell Logic, which I am a client of, and I am super excited to have them as a sponsor on this show now. So here is something that you might not know about me. I have been working out my entire life. My dad had a gym in the basement when I was probably five years old, and he had me lifting in it not much later after that. But throughout my life, even though I've been very active, I have had a hard time being consistent in getting into the gym and actually lifting weights. And because of that, I have not made amazing progress in my lifts 
uh, for a very long time. I would get into fits and starts, go for a month, go for maybe two months, and then, you know, kind of fall off the horse, maybe go try something else. And for the longest time, I have always wanted to be consistent in my lifting, especially since I do a job where I'm sitting at a desk most of the day. I want to be actually, you know, challenging my body and doing resistance training. Barbell Logic is a company that helps me do that. I have been working with my coach, Matt Reynolds, who is actually the owner of Barbell Logic for over a year. And because I have him as a coach, I have consistently been in the gym every single week, multiple times a week for over a year at this point. I have made much greater progress in my lifts. I have avoided injuries that I kept getting myself when I thought I had perfect deadlift technique because he actually provides feedback. So if you're somebody who wants to get on a more consistent workout routine, if you want to make better progress on your lifting goals, your exercise goals, and you want to avoid injuries and develop your technique, Barbell Logic is something you're definitely going to want to check out. Here is essentially how it works. This is asynchronous online coaching for your exercise habits. So you don't have somebody who's actually there at the time. Instead, your coach will create programming for you and then you go and do it in the gym. You record what you did in their app and then you film your last set. So you, number one, are being accountable to your coach, but number two, provide them with some footage that they can critique and give you feedback on. The next morning, you're gonna wake up and you're gonna see that critique. So they're gonna tell you, hey, here's what you could maybe change with your form to make it even better. Here's what's gonna help you uh, progress even more. And here's your next workout. You get that accountability you get that programming from expert coaches who actually know how things should be paced based on your goals. And you get the avoidance of injuries, which for me is a very, very important thing, especially as I get older. And the great thing about it is your first month is completely free. So you can try it out, see how it works, see the accountability benefits and decide if you want to pay for it after that. So if you're interested, go over to thomasjfrank.com barbell. Yep. I have my own URL for this one. So thomasjfrank.com barbell and, uh, uh, sign up there and get your free month and see how it works. I am almost certain that you're going to love it because I use it every single week and it is an essential service for me. So as always, thank you to Barbell Logic along with all of our awesome sponsors for supporting the Euphorium and let's get back into the show. I had a, I had a scary experience my first time on the e-bike. <laughs> so I guess let's do story time. Remember the time when I went out for a bike ride in college and uh, almost died on the yeah, side of the road. Yeah, that was a terrible decision. Uh, this was the closest I have gotten to that in a on long time. On an e-bike. So, did you go too far out? So here's what I did. I got my e-bike home from the bike shop, woke up the next day, I'm like, okay, I want to ride this and I want to put it through its paces. I'm going to ride downtown and work there today. Uh, and Google Maps said 22 miles to downtown. Well, it... I don't, I don't know if you were still here when we got our big snowstorm. You may have missed it, actually. I think you missed it by one day. We got a huge snowstorm, like two feet of snow. Wait. Oh, no, no, no. I saw that one. I was packing. Oh, you were packing. Okay, yeah. It was one of the biggest snowstorms we've had ever. Yeah, that was ever. one. And so it took forever for it all to melt off. And, of course, Denver doesn't plow, but what Denver especially does not plow are bike paths and sidewalks. So... I, I'm like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to cut through this path here. And I had to push my bike through snow for probably about a quarter mile. I was going to give up, but a jogger passed me the other way. And he's like, uh, it's clear up ahead. So you should be fine. So luckily it was, I get downtown. It's awesome. And then I'm doing a bunch of errands and stuff. And I decided to come back, coming back. I have to keep the bike on eco mode. Cause I only had like basically the number of miles that I would take to get home 
was the amount of battery I had. The bike also has an integrated light, which is nice, but it also means that the same battery which is powering your e-bike engine is powering your light and it's getting dark. And I'm cutting back through this area, which is kind of like a nature preserve area. Uh, and it's getting very dark at this point. And I start seeing some deer. I'm like, oh, hey, cool, there's deer in the dark. And then I look over on a hill and I see a coyote running around. And I'm like, hmm. Huh. I didn't know much about coyotes. So I'm like, if I have to push my bike through the area where it wasn't clear again, am I going to have to fight a coyote? <laughs> so That's. I turn around and had to add like unique. four more miles to my ride. At this point, the battery was almost dead. So I turned the motor off. And uh, I think I hadn't drank enough water either because like about two miles from home, my body's just shaking. And hmm, this, this feels suspiciously like that one time where I almost died on the side of the road. I had luckily picked up dinner. So I took like half of a baguette out of the, out of the pannier bag and ate it and got home and it was You're fine. dying by the side of the road surviving <laughs> on half a bag. Why do you want to die in ridiculous ways? You should have just okay, fought the coyote, so you know? Here's, I could have, well, I could have eaten the coyote. But yeah, that's, that's protein that would take a while. It. I needed sugar. I guess I could drink that's the fair. blood. That makes sense. This is getting weird. Anyway, my friend I Charles I was like, the blood. I, actually, I don't even know if I want to say this. I don't want to put this out here as like a PSA because I don't know if he's wrong. But he told me coyotes are never going to mess with you. Now, if it's a wolf, get out of there. But if it's a coyote, I don't know. Now, I don't know. So what I'm going to do is not get myself near coyote infested areas in the dark. So I don't have to find out for real. Yeah, yeah. I'd like, I think just not taking that chance when you don't have to yep. is the pro play. But anyway, what I have discovered is even with conservative riding using the lowest setting most of the time, uh, the bike's internal battery will get me to downtown and back almost exactly. So I am getting the external add-on battery you can get. And I think it, I don't know if it doubles the capacity, but it almost doubles it. Well, that'll help. So what that'll do is basically anywhere i want to go i can do it on the e-bike and um it also came with an integrated rear rack it's not the smartest rear rack i've ever seen because the fender kind of goes above it on the middle part so you can't put like a top thing on there but at least has the bars so i got one pannier bag that is um just a regular one and it's like rainproof and you just roll tops. So that's like good for throwing groceries in or keeping your gym clothes in. And then I got another one, which actually is a messenger bag that just has the hooks for going onto the rear rack. So I don't have to have a backpack, which is really nice. Oh, nice. Cause that is actually the thing that makes you like the sweatiest is having a backpack yeah, like against the, you. That area up against your back in, in between mm -hmm. the thing that gets so terribly uncomfortable. Yep. So you can just be, you know, unencumbered, no backpack. Um, the other thing I like about the e-bike is I didn't get a road style e-bike. I got a commuter style. So it's a more upright seating position. I'm almost considering getting those That's curved the back. bike I have. Yeah. And do you, are the handlebars on yours, do they curve back like a Dutch style or are they just straight? Mine don't, mine don't curve back, but it's definitely um, designed for sitting up more or less straight on the bike rather than having to hunch forward and go at Mach 5. Yeah. I'm that's kind of how mine is. It does have the straight bars, so I'm still forward a little bit when I'm seated high enough to get like the, the right cadence with my leg length. So I'm yeah. considering maybe even swapping it for Dutch style curve back handlebars so I'm putting I am no pressure on the wrists at all, which would be pretty nice. But because it's not like hunched over, 
my my hands don't get sore and it just feels more relaxed in general uh, and so yeah the the messenger bag just clips on and then you just take it off and it's got laptop pocket and everything so i can just take that into wherever i'm going it's pretty sweet so what this has number one convinced me to do is uh i will probably not buy a tesla or an electric car anytime soon i had considered it but an electric car is better for the environment than a gas car sure though there is a there's like an economic calculation you have to make when you buy the car because manufacturing it has oh, yeah. taken a lot of resources uh, and when you buy it you increase the demand there um but the other thing is if i buy an electric car and i'm buying a car that makes me feel better about driving then i'm incentivizing myself to drive it more and on a macro scale this is why like i'm sort of worried that tesla and the ev industry in general are barking up the wrong tree if if our solution to pollution the rhyme was unintentional there if a solution to that is uh you know everyone should just drive evs what we're doing is just saying okay let's use the same exact transportation style that incentivizes the same exact city sprawl and all of that then we're just incentivizing more sprawl more environmental waste when we're spreading out more more infrastructure that we don't need and i think that's the wrong way to approach it so yeah. what i may end up doing i haven't fully sold myself on this yet but i may actually trade my car for a smaller car that's cheaper so i could save like half on the monthly payment because i don't want to use it that much i would rather bike everywhere and now i have a thing that lets me bike everywhere without it being a sweaty workout the entire time that's exactly how i feel about cars i feel like it's like the assumption if you assume that a car is the answer then an electric vehicle is a cool idea but one should challenge yes. whether that's actually the answer because the problem is transportation not how to use a car and mm -hmm. i only really want my car for like going to venture out to you know like outside the city going to see yeah. uh, the north shore going to see national parks and things mm -hmm. outside of that i don't really want to be driving a whole lot i would prefer to just sort of leave it i remember when we first moved to colorado i only had to put gas in the car like maybe once every month or two because of how little i was driving mm -hmm. and i loved that yep i loved it too yeah when we first moved here we were right on that trail yeah so i hardly ever you, drew you my, could bike all over my the car. place like i don't yep. i don't want to drive that much it's a big part of what i'm trying to do to mm -hmm. get myself out of the house more and i'm excited about it yeah so I, I'm putting this out here um, because I'm excited about it. That's the main reason I'm excited about it. The other, th the other reason that I'm sharing it here is for some people, it's going to be a viable option to think about. Even if you live in a cold climate, Minnesota, specifically Minneapolis, has yes. an insanely great biking culture, even in the winter. Even in the winter, which is like one of the worst, yep. if, if, you know, winters in the whole United States. Now, so, part of the reason for that is that Minneapolis actually invests in in keeping their bike paths clear during the winter. The other half of that is people bundle up. They will do things like uh, I've, they actually put like wind guards on the handlebars, kind of like they do on motorcycles. They'll do things like that. Uh, and they'll put studded tires 
on the bikes in the winter so you can actually ride on snow so there are ways to deal with the snow and the cold but also the city they make an effort to keep the paths clear as well so that is another reason why i'm putting this out there because if more people start to realize hey this is the way that i would like to live eventually enough people want that that they start demanding it of their cities yeah because this is another thing i'm learning like the reason the part of the reason we keep building in this way is planners and traffic engineers and all these people assume that this is what people want and in many cases like okay yeah it is what they want but it's because they don't know anything else yeah they haven't questioned why that's what they want they just mm -hmm. kind of it the default assumption is i would like to get a fancy car a fenced in yard 17 dogs and a big house yep that's the and that's it, the default it turns thing. out like if you ask somebody hey what would you think if i took away all these parking spaces downtown that people get so pissed and they we're going to sue you we're going to remove you from office all this kind of stuff but then like in a lot of places where they just do it after a while people love it they're like oh wait hey cool i can walk here and nobody complains once it's done yeah so in many cases like it just has to be done that way but for that to even happen you have to have enough people who want it and who who vocalize it so i'm vocalizing it and maybe more people will in the future and until then I just have an e-bike and I'll bike an insane amount of miles <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> until I can afford to move back. That's the other problem is like, uh, it's just so expensive the closer you get to the city. Well, I cut my square footage in half in order to get yeah, one. And so, so that's the sacrifice I made. I traded space for mm -hmm. the location. This coming from, uh, and people know this, like a very non-minimalist person. I'm not a minimalist at all. Uh, this is maybe the best argument for minimalism that I can think of. The ability to live in an area where you have greater access to things within walking distance. Because I, I don't, I like the whole like, oh, decluttering makes me a happier person. I want to live in like this Scandinavian designed white box with nothing in it. Like, I don't understand that. I don't understand the appeal of like, I only own a hundred things, but. Yeah, that's like weirdly specific. Not having not having so many material possessions that you are forced to live somewhere where you need to use a car, that may be the best example of a benefit from minimalism that I could think of. Well, that's often how I, I talk about um, my minimalism. The reason that I get rid of things isn't because things are evil. It's because the more things I have, the harder it is to focus my time on the actions I would like to do. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, and one of the actions I would like to do is go be part of a community bike walk around uh, take photos there are objects i need to do those actions and then there are objects i keep around because i'm hoarding them thinking maybe i'll use it someday and it's taking valuable space that i pay rent for yeah and it, and in, if i have too much stuff i can't cut my square footage in half like i just did to mm -hmm. come be in a much cooler location for what i'm looking for it's yeah that's none of that stuff i got rid of and i got rid of a bunch of stuff i paid the i paid junk king to come take a bunch of big things that i didn't want anymore um none of that stuff was worth sacrificing the location i'm in i'm i'm happier without them if this is what i get in return mm -hmm. so on the topic of like the whole reboot your life thing because i feel like most of this episode has been sort of dancing around that but also like different yeah why did you move? We'll start there. 
well, I moved because sep there are a lot of reasons. Um, one is the nature. I like the nature more here. Denver's cool. Colorado's cool. But I feel, to me, the most beautiful parts of Colorado are like west of the mountains. They're up in mm -hmm. like Breckenridge. is incredible. But I was in Denver, not near those things. I want to be somewhere with a lot of water and a lot more green nature that's a mm -hmm. lot more humid because I was noticing for me, and you know, I got to be really in tune with myself to even figure this out, but when I would go outside and I would smell the air, I could tell if it was a humidity of like 30% or higher because I would yeah. feel fantastic every time I did. I'd be like, this smells like home. This is right. Mm -hmm. And if it was like below 20, I would smell that too. And I'd be like, this doesn't feel right. I mean, the temperature is nice, but it doesn't have that something. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to move somewhere where it was more humid. I think my skin is going to like it a lot more. Um, no matter how much I tried to drink water, I had a lot of trouble staying hydrated there. I did not adapt very well. But there's also a lot of... A lot of the green nature, a lot of water here. I'm closer to family because I think that, you know, a family is important. I want to see people. And it's easier now for me to drive down to Iowa and see family. That's a pretty short drive. But I can also fly back to Denver at a moment's notice. So I'm mm -hmm. still in a city area to where it's um, accessible to fly somewhere for not a billion dollars because, you know, flying places in Iowa costs more by yeah. default um so it's partially for family tuesday thursday spirit flight yeah yeah you gotta do strategies <laughs> it's partially for family partially for nature i've never been here before i've never lived here before i like forward mm -hmm. i like that it's new that feels adventurous and moving to this neighborhood i just really don't want to live a life where i spend most of my time and obviously the pandemic didn't help us i don't want to live a life where i spend most of my time inside keeping to my own self not being a part of the community i want to be outside i want to be active i want to be biking i want to be part of the community um i don't have a pull-up bar anymore i might just start using the apartment gym you know i used to say i don't like gyms i've said it on the podcast i don't like gyms like it's a small amount of anxiety it's inconvenient mm -hmm. i gotta go to it but the more i stay home to avoid that anxiety or really any anxiety the more i avoid it the the stronger it gets the more i get used to not having to deal with it and the less prepared I am to deal with it, and the anxiety just gets worse, and it's a feedback loop that keeps me inside indefinitely until I challenge yeah. it. Um, I'm just going to cut that out. I want to leave the house more often and be around people and get used to it. It's not going to get better for me by staying home. Um, yeah, I, ju I just really want to have a, a new chapter mm -hmm. that allows me to go take a whole bunch of photos and bike a lot and I'm, I'm excited about that and we've been walking every day it's been beautiful and gray and rainy and I love everything about it feels very northwestish other than the fact that obviously I don't get the the salt air of the ocean yeah. that is definitely not over here that's it doesn't reach that far I really like salt air it's nice it's very it's nice, very nice. maybe around. if I just throw some salt outside every day it'll, it'll can I work. throw some salt in an air diffuser yeah, yeah, that, yeah maybe you just do that i don't know if that'll have terrible consequences somehow <laughs> but i just want a new chapter i feel like when you move into a new home it feels distinctly like a different part of your life mm -hmm. and a lot of habits have location-based habit triggers so 
I was um, I was walking or or at actually lately driving to the cafe like every day for a while because that like was in, one in Denver in Denver because oh. one that was the only location to go to with a goal like you were saying it's like it mm-hmm. feels less rewarding to go outside when you don't have a place to go do something and then come back yeah and I had been sleeping bad so I had become reliant on like coffee constantly it wasn't even really helping I just got used to it and that habit is gone now entirely that there's no trigger for it that cafe is not here I, I'm not in the same place Mm-hmm. Most of my habits are dissolved. I get a chance to start over and build a new environment, and an environment is, you know, I'm going to make up a percentage here, but 80% of how my life has lived is automatically based on the environment I've surrounded myself with. So I've changed it, and now I can start fresh. I also get mm-hmm. this effect a little bit by rearranging all my furniture and stuff like that, which I do from time to time. I actually almost never do that because I feel like I have the optimal layout. But yeah, the the change thing is big. I think in The Power of Habit, he talked about how like people are likely to change big habits they have or even small habits when they move. The only one I remember right now is like people are very likely to change the breakfast cereal they eat if they move to a new house. Well, I think um, that was in the book. That's that's a very specific one to to have data on. That's It is, but like it's just very yeah, you, interesting. You, you end up in a new environment and everything is foreign and then you, you are just incentivized to change things. Yeah. It's just, okay, everything has been dismantled. Mm-hmm. I could immediately attempt to build things the way I had them, but I also have a chance, a chance to, to stop and, and think, wait, do I actually, how did I feel about that now that yeah. I could choose something different? Um, I was ordering groceries all, all the time because of, you know, pandemic stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm close enough to stores now that that would actually be completely ridiculous for me to do. So <laughs> I have to face a little bit of anxiety, go out, mask up, and get mm-hmm. some groceries because it would be an absurd waste of money for me to deliver groceries <laughs> where I'm at right now. That would be just the dumbest thing in the world. Um, I don't even know. What do they even charge Like, you unless I was groceries? immunocompromised or something, which I'm not, there would be no mm-hmm. reason to take on that extra separation between me and groceries yeah. at this point. Um. And I don't even know what they charge because I was so I was doing it so often I didn't even really remember to look anymore. You know, I don't know. Mm. I don't even have any idea. I was out of touch with it. Something about digital yeah. shopping does that, you know. Um, but I'm also I'm here starting over with my possessions as well since I got mm-hmm. rid of a whole bunch of stuff to fit in here, and I'm trying to do a, a sort of different way of building my life. So. When I went to Denver the first time, my first thought was, okay, this is my adult home. It's me and Ashley. We're here together. There's no one else. That's it. If I can build the perfect setup with the best furniture, the best stuff, and solve all of my future home problems right now, everything will be fixed, and I'll be happy forever. Obviously, that is naive, and it did not work out that way. Um... New problems showed up anyway. Things I thought were solutions didn't fix anything. Um, I spent I spent a lot of time trying to fix future Martin's problems and not focus on present Martin. And the trade-off never worked because future Martin kept trying to fix the even more future Martin. And mm-hmm. I never sat back and you know reflected on my current life at the time. So I ended up with an apartment filled with fancy stuff that I wasn't happy in, that I didn't like. 
that I had spent a bunch of money on. And this time I want to start over. I've gotten rid of most stuff. And I'm accepting temporary solutions in favor of focusing on the present instead until I find the, until I stumble across a really good long-term solution or it becomes really necessary. Mm. Or until it becomes a long-term solution. Like you just think something's going to work for now, but it might end up working for yeah. a long time as well. Yeah. I think that's a good way to do things. Um, to to kind of go back to city planning and part of the, bit of strong towns i was listening to this morning uh they were saying that's that is like a very clear divide in how we used to build cities versus how we do it now everything now is focused on get it to its finished final state like perfection as quickly as possible and then that's just how it's always going to be whereas the way we built cities in the past is okay we we need a pop-up shack basically to live in or to build a little store in. So let's just throw up four walls and a roof. Okay, cool. Like it grow a little uh, bit over time. And it can grow over time. It can change over time. If you've got like a downtown area with some people who are running a shop and like, I don't know, they're running a Magic the Gathering shop and uh, people start hating Magic the Gathering and they want to play Pokemon or something. Like, okay, you can just swap out for Pokemon cards or everyone just hates card games. Cool, that shop might close and that sucks for that shop, but that building can be reused for something else. And everything can just sort of chaotically evolve over time and uh one of the things they were saying is like chaotic evolution usually ends up being smarter than top-down evolution or top-down like innovation they call it if you're trying to plan something and we kind of understand this at the t at like the biggest level like everyone sort of was like okay command economy didn't work having some like, central planner be like you go you guys make shoes over here you guys make iPods over here that doesn't work uh like a market economy works better but for some reason like when we build cities we still try to do that and maybe we try to do that in our personal lives as well and a lot of times it just doesn't work because you're trying to solve a forever problem where yeah. what you should be solving is the now problem yeah we're, we're too too much trying to like finish something that can't really be finished Mm -hmm. And then surprised when we did it wrong, even though by definition we almost certainly can't do it right. Uh, it's like the expression, uh, pave the cow paths. Like, wait to build sidewalks until you see the areas in the grass where people have walked so many times that the grass mm -hmm. is dead, that whole trail. Because mm -hmm. it turns out that the people just showed you the shortest path that they need to take the most often. Yeah, It's that one, across or that the path piece they of grass. Want to take. Yeah, the, it or, may the not even fun be the or the most fun path. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like um, you could be prescriptivist about it and say these are the paths you must take, but people aren't going to anyway. So you could just see what happens, and then and roll with it. And that's something I wasn't very comfortable with because there's a little bit of anxiety in it. You're saying this isn't solved. Mm -hmm. There there might be a thing in the future that I need to fix. There might be something I need to change. I would like to fix it now. I'm anxious about the future. Um, it's something, actually, I was talking to Ashley about this, and apparently in, uh, in a podcast earlier this year, John Green described uh, something that he has a, like a, an emergency level system mm -hmm. where um, if you picture like a tall building, maybe uh, a level nine emergency isn't a big deal. Like you're on the ninth floor, maybe something's going on outside. You're like, oh, that's down there. Maybe it'll get here. It's not, it's not an emergency, but a level one emergency is on the same floor as you. You need to answer to it right now. 
I spent a, a whole lot of time ignoring level one emergencies to fix all of the other levels of emergencies first. Hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't uh, help. Because yeah. solving the problem in front of me is more fulfilling anyway, and I'm more likely to do a better job. When it's in the present, I have the information I need to solve it. I don't know what future me is going to do. I don't know what he likes. What what drives us to ignore the level one emergencies? Um, maybe anxiety. Because I don't think it's just you. It wrong. Mm. Mm. Or you don't want to do it. Maybe. Yeah, or maybe you maybe you hate it. Like let's say maybe it's an essay that's due. You know, it mm-hmm. could just be a big assignment in school. Maybe you just hate it. So you'll be like, I'm going to clean the house. You know, procrastinate working is another another thing. Yeah. That basically refers to something similar. Um, and I did tons of that. I'd be like, I'm going to have the perfect living room. Mm-hmm. Did I, did I do the things I wanted today? No, but trust me, I researched lamps really well today. I know all <laughs> the best lamps. Like that's, that's not actually even a problem. You know, that you just turn the light on. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And then later, if you're bored, you can get a new lamp or something. If you, if you really, if it comes up, but there are other I things. I wonder if hand. part of it is the fact that the the big problems right in front of us solving them is really difficult and so we feel like we can eke out a little bit of additional happiness for very little extra effort if we go and like get the best possible lamp or if we put lots of research into getting the best tv yeah well hey if i get the best tv i'll be happy even though like i've got things going on here that i don't like and yeah, and, and like the difference problems, doesn't even really matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've learned about. Like, like TV specs don't matter. <laughs> they yeah, only matter care. when you're in Best Buy looking at TVs and you can compare them like side by side. Oh, that one is bigger. Okay. Well, that one has better refresh rate. But like once it's in your living room, I don't know. Maybe, maybe other people feel differently about this, but I never think about the specs on my tv when i'm watching a movie yeah you have to be very specifically into that Mm -hmm. and you need to know you're that kind of person to care about it but if you suddenly care in the store and you've never thought about it before it it probably doesn't matter yeah now i don't think that applies to literally everything like there are certain things where i do really care about the specs like maybe on guitars so i don't think the the takeaway here is like okay uh, everything like that is a level nine problem that doesn't warrant any thought. Just go out and buy the first thing you see. Like, I don't think that that's how you should think about everything, but it, it is a thing to think about, especially if you do find yourself ignoring big problems in the, in the present and focusing on small things. Yeah. So you have given yourself a great opportunity for making life changes because you moved to a new city. Yeah, um, for I people who started over for people who are generally like bored or unsatisfied with life who are not currently moving to a new city. What do you think we like can give as suggestions for building a new routine, rebooting life as it were? Um, well, one thing uh, that I mentioned earlier was um, potentially rearranging how your house works could be mm-hmm. something. That actually, that actually helps. Um, back in the old previous apartment I was in, after about the first year into it, at some point I just got annoyed how the kitchen was set up. So I took out every single thing, put it onto this big table, 
and started it over thinking really critically about, okay, what do we use the most? What does Ashley use the most? She's shorter than me. I should make sure that those are on lower things. And then I rearranged it based on what things we used the most, how we used it, where something would be most convenient based on what we were doing, essentially paving the cow paths, but in the kitchen. So mm-hmm. maybe there's something going on in your life that's been set up that way because you happened to set it up that way and you've never questioned it, but it would honestly feel like really refreshing if you were to mm-hmm. redo it. Um, there's also, um, yeah, obviously with habit systems, those are cool and all. And even my goal system in the notebook has a cool every two week refresh basically. But the problem is even with that, I had fallen into a rut for a while where basically I was just like, okay, these are the habits. And I listed the same ones more or less every cycle. Well, I haven't been doing that for a little bit for a few weeks because I was like, I'm busy moving. I can't do this. I think I'm going to try to make a point to not just list the exact same formula essentially that I had for previously because it had become a bit stale. It stopped feeling motivating to Mm me. I think I need to... Basically, there are just a lot of hidden assumptions in life that how we're already doing it is fine and we need to find those assumptions and question them. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my suggestion is question the assumptions about like what in your life is just okay and ask yourself like is that actually just okay or do i kind of not like it so for you it was like the city you're in which necessitated a big change for me it's a little smaller right now it's like okay being at home all the time and living in an environment where it's not easy to walk or bike places and have like a purposeful reason for doing so that's something that you know for a while i just sort of taken as the status quo and when critically examined i realized that's something that i do not like so let me go figure out how i can solve that um and i I think that for me like getting an e-bike was the solution that might not be the solution for everyone obviously because it costs money but finding something that can solve that initial problem and maybe cascade into uh, a series of other habit changes could be a way to like do a little bit of a reboot and make your average day that much better. Yeah. I know personally I'm, I'm excited about the prospect of, of having a place to go at least a few times a week that isn't here to get some work done. Yeah. And spring's coming around. So, Mm mm-hmm. And vaccinations really? are coming around. It's a good it's a good time to start thinking about how to live life. Dude, I'm so stoked to get my vaccination. So stoked. I know it's not gonna change everything, still gotta wear a mask, all that stuff, but just knowing I have it. Yeah. Like, ugh, I I'm s I am can not wait. And I think I only have to wait like less than a month. So that's gonna be cool. Um actually one thing I thought about is when I was doing my internship where I did work in a different place from my home. Uh, One thing that I really enjoyed doing, which was a bit of a change, was just biking to work instead of driving. Like that little thing, it was physically harder and I had to get up earlier, but I really liked it and I always felt much better when I did it. Yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like like everything that I'm talking about right now is just like revolving around riding a bike because that's what's in my head right now. And yep. when something gets lodged in my head, I 
can't that's, that's, really that's how it not works. think about it and not talk about it. <laughs> it's um, just how I am. I guess. Uh, I, yeah. When somebody, if you're, if somebody is going through to try to solve one of these problems, fix one of these assumptions that maybe we're wrong though. I think the trick that gets a lot of us stuck is that um, marketing will attempt to make that problem more complex than maybe it was before. So, like, if your problem was that it was obnoxious to bike to a location and an e-bike is a reasonable solution, you might go look at e-bikes and then marketing is going to try to tell you, actually, it's this precise angle of this that's the problem. Actually, <laughs> this perfect, the perfect color, and that's the reason you're not happy. And where you go to a kitchen store and you're like, I don't cook enough. Why is that? And they're just like, well, here's a bunch of fancy stuff and it's all hand wash only and it's going to... And if you're convinced for a, for a second, you might get it. But then the hand wash only turns everything. It ruins everything for me. I'm just like, I, I don't want that. I want to throw it mm-hmm. in the dishwasher. Don't give me that. But also, you might lose sight of what the initial problem you were trying to fix was. Yeah. And uh, put it out of your reach. So... If you go and get an e-bike that works, that's cool, and that, and that's reasonable, and it's within the right price level or whatever. But if I need something fancy and I start researching for it, like if I start going to Amazon reviews or something, what's the most ultra five-star perfect thing ever? Suddenly, the marketing there is going to try to convince me all of these little tiny pieces were what was wrong with my ability to cook easily. Mm-hmm. Actually, I need any crock pot at all, just any any slow cooker, does any kind at all. Yep. That would be an improvement. Yep. But if I get myself distracted and I start to think it has to be like this perfect, crazy, several hundred dollar one, I might think, okay, okay, well, I can't get that right now. I'll get it later. It's too fancy. It's too expensive. But I don't want to get a regular one. It's not the perfect one. Now, I didn't fix any problem at all. I got myself hyped up for an expensive thing for later, and I just sit here and wait, not solving the problem of cooking more. So I think that part of what it would be good to do is learn to accept temporary solutions at least so mm-hmm. a regular slow cooker would fix in that situation but also making sure that you keep sight of what the actual problem you're trying to solve is and everyone that's selling something wants to make that problem more complex than it needs to be that might be the smartest thing that has been said on this podcast so far and like the the marketing thing is the example but i think the core of what you just said that like that it's the one takeaway is there's so much out there that pushes you to try to find the perfect permanent solution to any problem. And in many cases, what you need to embrace is the thing that will work right now that you are able to do. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's, that's what we're doing in this new place. And I'm, I'm really excited about that strategy. It's better, but like we get, uh, we have trash recycling and compost. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were looking at like, okay, so what's like the best, should we get like a split trash can? What we need a compost bin? How does that work? And then eventually I was just like, you know what? I don't actually understand this very well. And I have work to do. Work is actually my level one thing I need to do right now. That's more important. Mm-hmm. Let's just like use a paper grocery bag for recycling on the counter. You know, it's not pretty. It works for now. It's probably mm-hmm. not long term. But I don't actually care about it right now. Done. Accepted the yeah. temporary solution. And now I'm doing things that excite me instead of stressing out the next four days over the perfect trash can setup, yep. which is what I did when I went to Colorado. I thought <laughs> I had to solve that stuff perfectly or else it wasn't good enough. It is good enough. Everything's temporary. Deal with it. Find something enjoyable to do instead of 
perfecting things that are just really unimportant in the long run. I need I'll, to keep this. I'll in stumble mind. onto the solution eventually. I'll just find yeah. it. I'll be like, oh, that's it, and do it. I need to keep this in mind as well. Uh, so the, one of the problems I'm dealing with right now is I would really like to stop using Adobe tools. I like Premiere is so frustrating. Photoshop has just been garbage ever since the 2020 update. My computer is like more powerful than the Linus Tech Tips editor's computers. It's stupid how powerful my computer is. And even on a brand new installation of Windows, I opened up a brand new Photoshop copy and like dragging things around would be so choppy. And I went through every single performance optimization thing they suggested, graphics card settings, drivers, all these memory cache things. It all is just bad. And then I tried Affinity Photo. It's a $25 one-time purchase with every feature that I could think of from Photoshop and it just is beautifully smooth. So I'm like, okay, I really want to be done with Adobe. And I've been spinning my wheels because the obvious solution is, okay, switch to DaVinci Resolve for editing. And what I should do is what you just said, embrace imperfection. This is the solution that would solve the problem now. Don't worry about all the minor details, just try editing in there. But what my brain has been doing is, okay, well, what about these like little edge cases where I want to animate a line in After Effects that has a specific kind of glow on it? How would I do that in Resolve? Maybe it's not going to work. I think I just have to stick with Premiere forever. Yeah, yeah I used to do it. <laughs> I, I've, I've done that a lot. Not even I used to do. I'm sure I'll still mm -hmm. do it at some point when I won't catch myself. But yeah, you're like, but what about this thing that happens 1% of the time? It might happen. I need to solve it yeah. now. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. That's not even how learning works. You usually solve stuff just in time. That's the easiest way to learn something for me. Yep. Yeah, and a little and things that I thought would be a huge problem in other areas, like this basement. When I was touring this house, the ceilings aren't nine feet tall; they're like less than eight feet tall. And I'm like, oh, the, I had nine foot tall ceilings in my basement. I wouldn't even house. think I, the question. You need that to film videos. You need nine footage foot ceilings. there. And you know what? You don't. I set up basically the exact same set area. And turns out I sit in a chair when I film videos. So no, nothing needs to go up nine feet in the air. And sure, maybe I can't do little tiny specific things that I could do in the other house, like boom my biggest light over top of me and stand under it. Like, okay, I can't do that. But how often do I do that? I don't. So yeah, just can you just adapt to not doing it instead? Yep. And that that's what I kind of what I realized is I I'm having a lot of fun building the studio, but I went into the project being like, I'm going to build this perfect studio that has everything I could ever possibly need. It's going to be masterfully planned from the get go. And I don't think that's achievable. No, you're I top think down planning. Exactly something what to, would happen. You didn't yep, need to. Exactly what's going to happen or what would happen is what has always happened. I get the studio set up in a certain way. And then at some point down the line, I get an idea and I'm like, well, the studio as it is currently doesn't support that. I guess there's a change to make. So it will change. You, you get, mm -hmm. basically you need to accept that every solution you find is temporary and just go with it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's probably a pretty good place to to start wrapping up. Yeah. Unless you have other thoughts. Um, I don't. We got a couple potential questions. If we have oh, time we do. for that, I'm not actually aware of how long we've been recording. So, you know, sometimes that depends on how long the episode's been. I don't know. Well, this cool episode or this cool recording thing we're using actually tells us we've been recording oh, for wait, an hour where? and eight minutes. Oh, that's what? 
You know what? That's nice. I think we have Future. time for some cult member questions. So uh, before we get into that, I do want to just kind of provide a bit of a recap because, I mean, I think most people listening to this podcast understand it. Whatever's in the title is something we're often going to meander around because this podcast is not like it's the main Very videos. conversational. Yep. I'm not writing an essay here. But what I really liked that you said and what I'd like to iterate is uh, the idea that if you want to make a change in your life, find a way to make a, a change that may be just a temporary fix, but that is something you can do now. Don't try to master plan your life to perfection and think that it's going to always be that way from from now on yeah. into infinity and you can't make a change if it's not going to work in that way because that's just it's never going to happen you'll end up changing that one anyway mm -hmm. it'll be fine i bought a fancy lamp i don't have it now you know that <laughs> that lamp i thought would be the perfect thing to make my living room so happy i, I don't have that it was an mm -hmm. inconvenient to move so it it was inconvenient and i adapted you don't yep. know what future you needs yep and yeah, I was I was going to buy a nicer looking lamp last month, but uh, you know what? I think it would be better just to go to Target and get a regular old lamp because yeah, I ended I up buying like up, a five dollar lamp afterward because it was brighter. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing in the world, but yeah, I mean, if you want to change, if you want to change life, just figure out how to change it this week. Just yeah, go. Do There's a little a duct tape solution. Ask mm -hmm. any coder. Duct tape solutions. Eighty percent of the time, again, it made up, but y you feel it's true. They're just the actual solutions. How often do you actually go back and fix a duct tape solution to to code? You're on new yeah. stuff most of the time. And of, of course, the balance point there is, is sometimes you do need to sit down and plan things out. Like you, sometimes. I remember when we built CIG 5.0, which is I think the current design. You had really wanted so. to get the structure nailed down before you started coding because the previous version was really just a bunch of duct tape and string. Yeah. Yeah. But I only figured out that I should do that part better after making it duct tape in the previous version. That is true. It was a slight improvement from the previous one. And I'm sure if I built it again, I would slightly improve something else that I duct taped this time. There are things that are still duct taped. There, yes. there is still but duct tape. The site it's okay to have exists. duct tape. Maybe that's the yep. best. Maybe that's the best. It's okay to have some duct tape in your life, you know. The site exists, and I would contend that we got the site, we got that design done, well before the rest of the internet, in at large, sort of copied the same pattern, putting a huge premium on site speed and things like that. Yeah, like there weren't there were not a ton of websites doing that design pattern back when we got it done. I mean, yeah, we could have just sat around and waited three years to get it perfect, but we wouldn't have had a great, functional, publicly accessible website design for yeah. those three years. Uh, but we did. So anyway, um, hopefully this discussion was useful in some way. Uh, and we're going to get into some cult member Q&A. And uh, just as a reminder, cult members, people who have been initiated into the Inforium cult, which I think you can just initiate yourself by deciding you're in it. We don't have hooded robes right now. They're actually just shorted to those. Uh, if you have questions for us, the YouTube comments for the YouTube version of this podcast are a great place to put them. Otherwise, you can tweet them to us. I'm Tom Frankly on Twitter, and Martin is Yo Martholomew. So the first question is, how can I make money as a college student? Which I could turn into an entire episode. That could be an if, entire episode. If it's I true. am not careful. 
So uh, lightning round, here are some of the ways that I made money in college. The most fun one that I can think of right now is I went to the campus surplus store every Wednesday and I would buy cheap computers and cheap monitors from them. And then I would build them into complete PCs and put Ubuntu Linux on them and then sell them on Craigslist for a profit. Oh, nice. That's pretty that was a That was a fun little entrepreneurial thing I did. I also once was downtown in Ames and was too lazy to walk to the bus stop because I think it was a mile away. So I went into a used bike shop, bought a bike for $80, rode it back to campus, and then sold it for 110 on Craigslist. That may be my nice. finest entrepreneurial moment right there. So uh, flipping things is a thing I did in college. I worked on-campus jobs. The best one was probably working in the uh, solution center, which was like the IT support center. That was cool. I also worked in the campus web development department, but realized that I was too dumb of a coder to really be of use to them. So I was only there for like <laughs> six months. Uh, I was an RA. I did campus tours. Those are all paid jobs. So, you know, I think the most obvious example here is go and find a part-time job either on or off campus. Um, I have found that on-campus part-time jobs are typically more convenient to your schedule if you live on campus. Yeah. Because you can usually walk from your class to them, which is pretty nice. I know um, some colleges will only let on-campus jobs go to people who are eligible for work-study. So in those instances, you may have to go look for an off-campus job, but that was a good way to make money. And then I did freelance design, like freelance web development a little bit. And then finally made money through blogging, but that's like the most long-term and also dubious way to make money, I think. Yeah, you can't really guarantee you're going to get a return on that while you're still in college. So it's not a, sh not a yeah. short-term plan. I didn't start College Info Geek to make money. And I didn't think I'd make money. I started it because I got rejected from writing for another blog and then thought this might look good on my resume. That was it. It was only like a year after when I started getting some real traffic, which was partly due to persistence, but also partly due to luck, where I thought, okay, hmm, maybe this could make some money. Yeah. And I started building that. But you know, if you're going to get into content creation, I don't think money is the first motivation you should have. Uh, you also did some things too, right? Uh, I would say most of what I did was literally just on-campus jobs uh, and then working with you. Um, the thing about my on-campus jobs, though, is I always chose stuff that was, at, at the very least, in the department of something that would look, look cool. Mostly, mm -hmm. it was computer jobs. Every job I tried to line up at college was a potential line on my resume. That's I wanted it that way. And even if I would have just been working a desk, if I could make it in a desk of a department that sounded related to something I wanted to do, it would still look cooler on my resume. So I found on-campus yeah. stuff the most convenient. Also because I got to walk or bike to it and use all the advantages of a college campus design mm -hmm. that, that we touched on earlier. I have a tier list for jobs in college. Tier one would be something that is extremely relevant to your major. So like literally, like if you're an MIS major like I was, a job in IT or MIS would be tier one. Yeah. Uh, and then tier two would be jobs that help you build useful soft skills that employers look for. So when I worked in the campus uh, or the, the business college's career services office, it not only helped me build relationships with career counselors, but I was also uh, talking with people face-to-face, -face, writing professional emails, doing a lot of organization work. So you can look up lists of soft skills that employers look for and then find jobs that would help you build those. Tier three would be 
uh, a desk job where you have downtime. So you could build your own blog in your free time or whatever oh, yeah. it is, you know, just do yeah, useful do homework things. homework or something. And then tier four is anything else. So like working at McDonald's is tier four because, well, I mean, I guess you get some soft skills from it, but for the most part, like you're doing money or you're doing work just to it's get money. Like it's for the money primarily. And there's no downtime for you to work on self-development. on your trajectory and career choices, but for the majors mm-hmm. we were in, it certainly wouldn't have been relevant to any MIS things. Yeah. Um, so that's like the desirability that I look for or that I did look for as a student. But you know what? If there's nothing else available and you got to work at McDonald's, like make some money. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that uh, there's a pretty lengthy article on uh, College Info Geek yes, about we this have particular several. topic. So, But yeah, I do think we have an on-campus jobs article. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And the last one. Oh, this one's for Martin. Do you create notebooks for the languages you're studying? No. No. No, so I'll you don't elaborate. Have like... I'm not just going to sit here. <laughs> <laughs> just... No, I don't. Nope. That's it. And we're wrapping up. No, uh, I don't create notebooks. This actually may seem weird. Um, I'm not much of a notes person when I'm learning things. I prefer to just immerse myself in doing things and then let myself remember what's important to the doing of the thing. Yeah. You know, so like the trick to memorizing language things to me is to make remembering that part of the language important by using that language. If if it's all flashcards and never speaking, if it's all grammar exercises and never reading or listening, I don't feel like it means as much to me, and my brain is not going to think it's important. I, I, I don't think it's important. It's for artificial stuff like flashcards. I do use flashcards, but in combination with actual practice, because actually using the language is what tells me which grammar points are important. Mm-hmm. the ones I need to use. The increasingly rare ones that maybe I didn't memorize yet or don't know about yet are increasingly... They're, they're rare. I haven't run into them. It's not that important. Yeah. So I prefer just straight-up practice and immersion rather than taking notes that I honestly probably won't ever look at again. Mm-hmm. Um, once I put notes on stuff, and I did this for almost all my classes, I didn't really take notes. I took notes in statistics, but that's because I took them in Spanish. I was just practicing Spanish. I... I don't like taking notes because once I've put something in there, it's sort of like I've given my brain permission to forget it because, hey, I could just look at my note later. Yeah. Um, It's useful as a reference sometimes, like formulas, stuff like that, which I certainly didn't memorize right away. And maybe task lists if I have too many because the idea is to take it out of your head temporarily so you can focus on what you're doing. But with languages... The point to me is to be able to speak and read it and listen extemporane- or, yeah, extemporaneously. That means it's supposed to be in my brain. I'm supposed to basically have it memorized. I don't want to have to pull out uh, a grammar note in Evernote or something or Notion to see what I'm doing next. I, I just want to use the language enough that I remember it. There are plenty of resources on the Internet that will teach me how to use the grammar making my own notes there doesn't actually i'm just copying their explanations basically yeah but i want the language in my head so i don't put it in notes that's fair and i know a lot of people around the world do it that exact way as well they just learn it by using it Uh, well that's what i did in, in most of my classes and the reason i understood my classes right away and didn't have a lot of problems with stuff 
was because I sat there uh, with like rapt attention to the economics lectures and things like that. I was just paying so much attention and I wasn't simply, you know how some people will, they'll take notes by just like typing out literally word for word what the professor is saying. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing that, uh, at least for me, if I try to do that, I'm also not really listening to the words. I'm listening yeah. to type them. I'm not listening to understand the concept. The concept is what's important, not my ability to type. Yeah, you, you turn yourself into a basically a stenographer at that point. Yeah. A human transcription machine, and that is it. And, and then you have extra homework now, because if you want to yep. understand the concept, you need to read <laughs> your... You basically just need to experience the class a second time yeah. via your notes. I never did that. Uh, I, I don't like taking notes. I just ignore them. It's just a way for me to let stuff go into my ear and then, you know, out the other, as mm-hmm. the people say. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, I think the, the best way to progress in a language would be to practice it often in, yeah, I, you know, I in learned, various ways, but in the ways that you want to use. So re- reading books or, like, like, I know you have a lot of conversations. I, I on, do uh, speak what it is frequently. It, italki? Yeah, italki. And then... um. So if anybody's studying Spanish, you'll know, you know that like uh, vosotros, that entire conjugational area is primarily used in Spain Spanish, not not Latin or Central American mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, I learned that how to completely un- I can hear it and understand it because I watched like 80 episodes of Spain Spanish Pokemon, not because mm-hmm. I studied and memorized stuff out of a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of my teachers were from the, this hemisphere, so I didn't really get taught that um conjugation table yeah but i learned it from watching pokemon because i was just using it i Mm -hmm. I learned it naturally through that and i think that worked better than if i were to just sit there and torturously try to memorize the the table like conjugation tables for french and spanish are pretty intimidating so yeah yeah and i imagine the stuff for english is even more intimidating if you don't speak it as your primary language all right well those are our cult member questions so i think it's now time to wrap this shindig up gotta say this whole riverside thing the recording app we're using really like it as long as it doesn't crash and delete everything when we're done Um, my favorite part would be that if i get that adapter thing we wouldn't have the situation where currently on screen i am jumping on a llama because my phone just ran out of space and that oh. would be solved. <laughs> that would be solved right away. But then let, that would fewer, be fewer llamas, though. So, Yeah. You know. All right. Well, if you are enjoying this show and you want to subscribe and haven't done so already, go over to theinforium.com, and you're going to find subscribe buttons for Spotify, for YouTube, for Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all kinds of cool stuff. You can also just paste the URL for the RSS feed into any podcast reader you use uh, or just search for us in a podcast player app thing most of them have marketplaces now so there's many ways to subscribe to the college of boogie podcast except for it's now called the inforium and i just have the college you know of what Boogie podcast in my brain <laughs> it is i have so many i've done so many podcast episodes that i have to really think about putting the inforium where college of boogie podcast we'll just need go. to do 300 more I've done ad reads where Anna will be like, hey, you accidentally said College Info Geek in the URL and it's not that anymore and I have to go redo them. So now I'm just like, bang it into my head. You must say the Inforium. If you have questions, if you have feedback, Twitter is the best place for it, I think. Uh, I'm Tom Frankly. 
Martin is Yo Martholomew. Otherwise, leave some comments in the YouTube versions of these episodes. There are no comment sections anywhere else because that's how podcasts work. Uh, if you are enjoying this show and you are subscribed already and you are an Apple Podcasts user, there is a rating and review system. So it would be a great uh, way to support the show to leave us a five-star rating and review if it's not too much trouble. But uh, hey, if it is, or if you just don't want to, then don't, because I'm not your dad. But I will see you in the next episode of Mark. Thank you.